He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day, straight from the heart of Texas. That's right, I'm in Austin for a rally for voting rights. Voting rights are civil rights, more about that in a bit. I've got a great Texas lawyer on in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, his name Chip Evans, and he practices in Austin, Texas. This is awesome. So is my talk with our troubadour, Dave Gunders. His song this week, Impossible Happiness, the perfect pandemic song. Is the pandemic over? Is it not? We discuss with Dave Gunders in a lively segment that starts right now. Good evening, Troubadour. How are you, Craig? I'm wonderful. We are recording on a weekday night. You can hear one of my dogs, maybe both, panting in the background because they get excited to see Uncle Dave, but it's not for the usual walk. This is for a special song you've graced us with, Impossible Happiness. You must be proud of this song. I am. Thank you. And it's going to be the first song on your new album? Yes. And am I getting a credit on the song? Should you be? I recall that it was born of the pandemic and that uh, at a minimum I was a sounding board. You were my sounding board. You were, I think, the, the first person I talked to about that song. Yes. I was like, what do you think of this idea? Impossible happiness. Mm -hmm. Well, I was referring to the idea at the time there was the pandemic. There were fires. It was last year around this time. Right. Or it could be today tomorrow yes it could the pandemic and is it back i had uh, yeah i don't know but it's trouble it's troubling anyway but but it was a it was a, a rough time and i was i said i said craig during these times i almost feel guilty when i'm when i'm happy when i'm just enjoying myself and I'm you just, have been happy the whole time well COVID I'm, be damned you know right? you got to live your life through whatever it throws at you but I, I did feel, I said, how can I, how can someone be happy now with all of this going on, climate change and the problems? Well, we're going to get to that. Yeah. We're going to get to this song. But first, I have to give you a shout out because people who listen on Saturday mornings, 9 a.m., when the podcast drops, they could make their way up to the Bull Dorado and listen to the Mighty Twisters. Am I right on Saturday night? Saturday night this Saturday. Yes. That's quite a venue. It's a lot of fun. It's called the License One. It's downstairs uh, of, of the Boulderado Hotel. I have to tell you that uh, I was blown away going to hear you and the Vipers this past weekend. What a crew of talented musicians led by their front man who wields a wicked guitar named Dave Gunders. Well, I don't think led by me. It's really, it's really Rich Papamo Johnson's band. Uh, they invited me in last year, and and so I'm just Is happy to be playing with them. Dude? He's the keyboard player, he and he sings like, most of the songs. He looked like he was in charge. 
Yeah, he's, he's a great guy. Top beard. Yes, talented as hell. Yeah. I could tell he's a major leaguer when it comes to music. And, and he plays on a number of songs. In fact, he probably plays on more songs uh, than any other guest on this most recent CD. Really? And then, I mean, the whole band was good. The drummer, the other guy with the guitar. I don't even know what the instruments are, but the way you sang, it was... I, I just think when people see the Vipers, again, you if you played... That little bowl off of DTC. Do you know where I'm talking about on Bellevue? Occasionally they have musical groups because housewives like to dance and stuff. They need a band to get people up and going. You guys do it. That's a dance band. Am I right? Oh, yeah. The music we play, you know, kind of southern Louisiana rock and roll. It absolutely, it's, it's good dance stuff. Zydeco music. Right. And your song, Zydeco, it's fantastic. I uh, You dedicated it to me, which I thought was wonderful. And I've heard you talk about that song. I know how, like Impossible Happiness, these are, that's another song that maybe I should get a credit for being the good sounding board. I think you should. I think you should. Actually, that's one where I, I remember coming over with Rachel. We, we walked across the street and played it. You were out with your son, and I had just written that right. song. Yeah. Another pandemic-born son. Or a a song. song, right. Yeah, yeah. It's like a son. The son you never had. Just take away the G, and there you go. A song. The guy who calls his dog Riley my son. Yeah, I do. Okay. We'll uh, have that examined by a team <laughs> of psychologists. But I, I, I think we need to argue about some things, because what's up with COVID? Masking. You're out and about. Do you realize this can impact your ability to do your your gigs again? I mean, are people are going to be afraid to go out? Like I said, it's troubling, and it seems like we're just waiting every day to see what kind of news is is breaking on on the you know this this Delta variant and the right. But you're pretty much oblivious. But you can be opinionated. Are you mad at the people who are unvaccinated for letting this continue? No, that's not my thing to be mad at people Why? who are unvaccinated. Well, because I know people are unvaccinated for different reasons. They all have their reasons, and I have my <laughs> I have my reasons for not worrying about them. I I, I really I don't think our society right now is going to be uh, um, better off if we're if we're all you know yelling at each other for why right, we should but, or shouldn't. Uh, let's let's get practical. You have a thriving business. Tell everybody the name of it again. Lookout Renovation. Right. And we learned last week that you're not as dumb as you look. You have an MBA and all of that. Wow. I did? You didn't know that? I I would have I would have lost some money on that one. But uh, <laughs> no, a C I, through you CU. To, you have yeah. to study hard for that. I, I did. I worked. I, I I went to school mostly at nights. It was oh. right when I was starting my my remodeling business. I thought I might use it. I'm not saying you make great use of your time, but a lot of it is writing songs. I just can't see you hitting the books like that to pass an exam. I barely passed. (laughs) (laughs) But you've got a thriving business. And my point is this. You have a bunch of crews working with you. And have you thought about telling them, boys, employees, I don't know, maybe you have some girls too, boys, girls, employees, you need to get vaccinated to to work for Lookout. Well, no, I haven't. I've encouraged it. I think everybody who works with me has. Um... 
It's interesting you mention that because I think everybody who, who works with me and has. And somebody it. said, no, I'm not going to get a name. I don't believe in it. Would you say, well, then I can't put you in people's houses? Um, I don't know if I would make that rash call. I'd, what if I'd that, probably what tell if them. What if the homeowner told you that they didn't want anybody not vaccinated in their house? Though they would have that right. Oh, I would have to respect that. But I think what I'd probably tell someone who didn't want the vaccine is they had to, you know, wear the mask and do the social distancing. It'd be annoying. Right. And probably if and when you needed to cut employees or you saw somebody promising who was vaccinated, uh, somebody's job is going to be at risk. And I just see this leading to huge conflicts because in my experience, Dave Gunders, people will react when you mess with their kids. And going to school with a mask on, that would have been horrible for me. I mean, they played... High school basketball with a mask on. I wore those stupid sport glasses. That was already a handicap, and let alone if they fogged up. I need to see the rim a little bit. You know, so yeah, I would say if I was a student, I would say bullshit. I'm not going to wear a mask. But then if it's mandated and there are good arguments and science, but then you get back to these damn unvaccinated people have brought this on us. Right. Right. I have a friend who has not gotten vaccinated. For example, he said, gee, Dave, I'm getting shamed. A lot of his friends, his acquaintances were, were putting pressure on him. And um, he's a guy who he had no political um, um, axe to grind and uh, no particular conspiracy theory. He's just a guy who I think is mentally um, unstable enough that he doesn't like the idea of taking anything into his body. He won't get an operation. Other things. I knew he wouldn't get a vaccine. There are 12 main perpetrators who have been identified, and a lot of it flows through Tucker Carlson and uh, certain professor, Brett Weinstein, a biology professor in Washington, and they make some good arguments on the surface. It reminds me of a defense attorney in countless cases that I prosecuted saying, well, what about this? What about that? Aren't there straight fingerprints here? And did you... Uh, hear that some of the DNA was not identified. I mean, they're just asking a bunch of questions, but they're trying to get you to not focus on the fact that 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 this was approved. Now, it was approved for emergency use, right. and I think a lot of people are saying, well, when, when is this going to be approved fully? And now they're talking about a Pfizer third booster. Can we get some FDA approval on it so that we can get everybody vaccinated? Because... If somebody says to me, hey, Craig, you're asking me to take an emergency use thing. What about down the road? Why don't they call it good? People I'll have, wait till then. Yeah, people have fears about that. You know, they're, they're, they're going to be warranted. I think the best thing that could happen is the FDA could approve it. Uh, it's still not going to bring everybody around. How would you feel if Sarah and Rachel were just starting uh, middle school or elementary school and they had to wear a mask? No, I mean it's going to be tougher the second time around. The first time we were all scared, and we didn't, we you know, we didn't know how dark this room, you know, how big this room was that we were in. Right. It was dark. Uh, now we've been through it, and it, and going back to mass is going to be tough. But I mean, I'm listening to Fauci. I'm listening to you know to the CDC. I, I, I'm sticking with the scientists, Craig, because that's that's uh, you know I think that's the best route we can now, we can now take. Now, why do you like Fauci? I think, well, I think he's, he's, first of all, he's so well-informed. And I think, secondly, he has the public's interest in mind. I agree with you. 
and he's proven to be bipartisan. Of course, he was against Trump, but anybody with decent common sense would be. And he did say at the outset masks were not good, but as I recall, he said we had a shortage then. I didn't want there to be a run on masks. I remember that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And but you know, and the the virology, the Wuhan. What I know is that right wingers hate Fauci. And especially so because as part of his job, he came out for a pro-choice position and abortion animates some people to the degree that they lose touch with any other issue. If a guy speaks up in a pro-choice way, then Fauci is the enemy, and that's a damn shame. Right. I, I quite honestly, I didn't even know that. I didn't know that's why some people didn't, you know, were so were so uh, you know virulent towards him. Right. Good word. That's almost a pun right there. I will keep you informed because contrary to your song where the narrator is reading the newspaper all the time, we call you Mr. Oblivious for a reason. Well, who's we? You call me Oblivious. Well, that's true. (laughs) I was going to say my wife. She usually says it with a smile. Yeah, and I do too. And I think it's a life strategy on your part, and it might be wise. Because a lot of this stuff, you can't do anything about it. Very true. Right, but you do have to form an impression on what to think. This show is going to be about Texas. I've got a Texas lawyer, Chip Evans, on, and I've got a troubadour who, if I remember my troubadour history, actually lived in the Republic of Texas. I grew up there from like six months, when I was six months of age, all the way to maybe about eight. So I was a Houston boy. And did you learn about Sam Houston and the formation of Texas? Oh, I was, I was, yeah, I was a little young historian and a cowboy and a fan of the Alamo. Right, and Davy Crockett. I bet you had a, a coonskin cap. I did, and I had me some six shooters. And Davy was a great hero, right? Oh, yeah, Davy Crockett. Oh, man. He used to ride lightning bolts. Did you know that that Mexican-American war really started kind of as a civil war with the northern part of Texas fighting... Uh, the homeland, Mexico, uh, right? Uh, over, uh, among other things, the issue of slavery. You, you would, you would explain that to me during one of our walks, and I read you my column, and I'm going to read it in the record. I think for this show, because I'm rather proud of it, and it's about Texas, and I'm going to be there and doing some of the podcast from the great state of Texas. But when I say Texas, what do you think of? Are good things, bad things, what? Both. <laughs> I do. I think of both because it was my boyhood. Um, you know, Texas is a proud state. It's it's it's, uh, you know, a state of, of uh, many, many accomplishments. But it, unfortunately, it's been tainted in, in, the, in, you know, in these later days. How do you feel it's tainted? Well, I think now of, you know, Texans as Trump supporters. But maybe if they got everybody to vote, most people would disdain Trump. I mean, growing up, wouldn't you think that this is the kind of New Yorker that Texans would automatically make fun of? Yeah, you might be right. I just think that, uh, but then you got Ted Cruz, so Texas does have a problem. And uh, Ken Paxton, Chip Evans and I talked about all that stuff, but you had Texas pride, and that's the thing. People want to have pride in their state and their country. We're not a lot better in Colorado because, you know, it wasn't 
uh, white people's land. Jewish people weren't here like they were in Jerusalem through the years. And there were Native Americans. They kind of get brushed aside while Mexico and America are fighting for land that the Comanches really controlled for generations. Right. So anyway, now I'm getting down because I listened to Impossible Happiness, I'd say four or five times, and I picked up something different every time I listened. Isn't that the mark of a great song? Listening? No. Well, when, you listen. when you No, when you get different uh, images or concepts when you listen a second or a third time. Oh, yeah. Right. Uncover something something new in the lyrics. Yeah. I don't know if it makes it a great song. It makes it, you know. I think it does. It kind of gives, you know, it, it, it's going in the right direction. I think that's one of your best, except it goes against your stereotype, which is happy, oblivious Dave. Right. This one's full of rock and roll angst, and hopefully I pulled it off. One thing about Texas before we leave it is when I think the other thing I think about Texas, I got to mention this, is Austin, which is such a great music town. I'm going. Tell me what you think I should do there. I've never been, and uh, you know I'm taking off. I'll be broadcasting from Austin. Am I going to have a good time? And what would you tell me to do for sure? Well, talk to people down there and ask them what they're doing that night. But if you're in if you're in Austin, there's going to be plenty of bars. You know, go in and listen to the local music. That's where Stevie Ray Vaughan came out of. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to wear a mask, and I hope people don't give me shit about it, or maybe I shouldn't. I'm vaccinated, but then there are those breakthrough infections. What do you think, Troubadour? Are you being more careful? or? No, my wife, uh, she's been putting the, the heat on um, in these last few days about wearing a mask in the stores and that kind of thing. And um, I've just stayed out of the stores. I'm contemplating this now. Like I said, it's it's something. I feel like the changes are happening. I'm, you know, I'm. I, I honestly, I'm reluctant to go back to a mask. I've enjoyed the last few months without it so much. Now you're raging, just like your song. I love when you rhyme rage with sage, and it's rare for Dave Gunders to rage in a song. But I'd say you are that. Uh, you've got a warning narrator thing it's almost like a guy narrating a horror movie there's a horror movie and you take on that tone and then musically you signal it with a more mournful sound like well what is it is it a guitar like you're playing well, along, then you go oh ah. i mean something that kind of <laughs> i hope i don't no not that but it's, <laughs> I, I had it when i well, listened to it but it's it's a signal that Oh boy, this song could be a mournful tale. Mournful, but he's, you know, I, I, I definitely felt anger in that song, frustration. And, um, you know, like I said, angst, just feeling out of sorts with everything. I know, but what 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 instrument makes that sound? I'm so well, naive. It almost well, sounds it could like be the har- organ, I, no, it's organ a, or a harmonica. Yeah, or it could be a guitar lick. That song, the 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 harp, is what plays the solo okay. when it when it finally yields to a solo. Yeah, and even though it's mournful, it's a great dance song. Again, that's interesting. I mean, it, to combine those two things is not easy. Right. Right. Yeah, and it's if it's if if it if it can be danced to all the better. And the thing that makes for good dancing is drinking, right? Have you ever noticed those two go together? And you kind of there's a drinking song too. <laughs> okay, well, I guess Isn't it can it? be. 
Aren't you I won't stop you. people to have a double? What were you talking about? I was talking about the guy. He goes home at the end of the day, pours himself a double. He says, there's no one here I need to impress. He's by himself. He's this, you know, like people drank more during the during the right. pandemic. So yeah, he's spending time. Song. He's spending time alone. He goes outside. There's a world in trouble. Impossible happiness. So is that true? Is happiness impossible from you, the troubadour, the happiness that is Dave Gunders? No, it's never impossible. Right. So this isn't your true feeling. It's your darkest thoughts in the middle of a pandemic. Right. I have to say something like that. But you're striving for happiness at all times. Sure. And uh, will you continue to be oblivious as you keep rotating with the earth? I think in my wise way, I, I hope to continue to be oblivious. You are wise. And we <laughs> learned so much about that great interview from T5 by Adaris. Any fallout from T? I hope he liked it. Oh, T was thrilled. No, he, he texted me later and, and we talked We talked as well. He, he really enjoyed it and got it, you know, getting a chance to tell some history about his family and, and our, our bands. Well, here's what people said about your performance, although you didn't talk a lot. Boy, I learned a lot of new stuff about the troubadour Dave Gunders. Let's learn more by listening to the first song off his new album, this one called Impossible Happiness.
myself a double Nobody here I need to impress Outside there's a world in trouble Impossible Happiness Impossible Happiness Impossible Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey, because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Welcome. Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Now this next visitor to the lounge, I've been working on this for a while because the great state of Texas keeps coming up in American conversations. Last week I wrote a column about Colorado was once part of the Republic of Texas And I've interacted with this lawyer from Austin, Texas, a place I've never been before this week. And his name is Chip Evans. Chip, welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Craig, we've been talking about this for a long time, and I am thrilled to be here. I think we had uh, an auto accident where we had a client mutual interest. And once I got to know you and your father and your law firm, I just felt blessed that the client had the benefit of your wisdom. Tell everybody about who you are, where you grew up, and let's make sure you're qualified to be in the lounge and tell us if you really are a lawyer. <laughs> okay, thank you, Craig. Uh, before I tell talk about myself, uh, 
I, I loved Craig from the first time I met him as well, right up until the time I took him to play golf and he hustled me badly by not telling me that he had played collegiate golf for four years. And I'm pride myself on being okay at golf at times, but Craig is really, really good. So don't ever play Craig for money. Um, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. I'll be turning 50 here in about a month. Um, I went to Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas for my undergraduate. Georgetown is about 30, 40 minutes north of Austin. Um, after that, I attended law school at St. Mary's University in San Antonio. Um, following that, out of law school, I got a job in Dallas working for a MedMouth defense firm. And the name of that firm was Burford & Ryburn. Old, old firm. They were 100 years old in 1997, more than 100 years old. And uh, it was a really good experience, really good, good lawyers. Um, learned how to be a lawyer, made some really good friends in that firm that I'm still friends with to this day, but that wasn't necessarily my, uh, jam, so to speak. Um, I liked it and my father's a physician, so I had a lot of contacts in that, um, area, but I, my heart was always on the plaintiff side. So I had the opportunity to join my father-in-law, uh, after a couple of years practicing, uh, on the defense side, doing medical malpractice defense there in Dallas. Um, I had an opportunity to join my father-in-law in Austin. My wife, of course, jumped at the chance to move back home. And we were both real happy about that because we really like it. Uh, did that. Um, that firm, Fisher & Evans, officially started in 1999. Uh, we did that through the end of 2008 until he retired. Um, Guy Fisher, excellent lawyer, learned incredible amount from him. Um, and then... Um, in 2009, uh, I had a, a couple partners, Sally Metcalf and Jeff Edwards, both excellent, excellent lawyers. We were doing a bit of general personal injury practice, and Jeff had a real um, bent towards uh, civil rights cases. So I got to go try a civil rights case with him, which is quite an experience for, for lawyers that haven't done it. It's really interesting. Um, so it's very difficult also. And then... Um, since 2011, I have had my own firm, um, and we've, we've added a family law section to that firm. I do all the personal injury, and my partner now, Scott Hurley, does all of the family law. Um, I handle personal injury cases all over the state of Texas. Um, Craig and I got together real randomly. It was way, it was 2000 or so, Craig. It had to be because was, I remember first time you called me, it was in my old office, and I've been in my new one since November 1st of 2000. In Austin, um, Texas. You grew up in yes. Dallas, but how many years now in Austin? Uh, well, I count my college years because I was in Georgetown just up the road. Um, so basically since 1990, all but about five years have been spent in Austin, Texas. So what is that, 25 years at okay, least? Okay, yeah, we're going to talk about that beautiful city. And you have a thriving law practice. Way to go. You have a beautiful family. <laughs> Brag on that for a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I am very lucky in that. I have a wonderful wife that, that um, recently uh, got what I consider to be the coolest job in the world. She's uh, the um, administrative assistant kind of bookkeeping person for Todd Dodge. He's a Texas legend football coach at our high school there. He's got six, uh, six state titles, and you know that's a big deal in Texas, a real big deal. I, I really like that she has that job. And then my son, uh, very, very proud of him. He's... Um, He's just finished his first year at Southwestern, falling in the old man's footsteps. He's an excellent golfer, excellent student, 
a world-class fisherman and we're actually sitting in Colorado right now because we're going to go fishing tomorrow and uh, a super, super student. And then my daughter uh, just finished her sophomore year at Westlake High School in Austin. She is on the Highline dance team and um, you know, she's a study fiend and we make fun of her because she's kind of a nerd, but we're actually really, really proud of her too. And she's, um, you know, just an outstanding person as well. So I'm very, very, very lucky with everybody that I have lucked into surrounding myself with. And I have no, no idea. Kidding. Hang, no kidding. No you are a lucky guy. Me. And the way you guys yeah. from Texas treat Colorado like it once was part of the Republic of Texas, but that's true. <laughs> it was. We bring you a lot of, a lot of tourism dollars, Craig. Let's not knock that. <laughs> no, you've taken it further, Chip. Tell everybody about the fact that you are affiliated in Colorado, you are a member of the bar, correct? I, that's correct. So um, in Texas, which I'm sure Craig will ask me about, we have a lot of tort reform going on all the time. And um, as a fallback position, because I absolutely love the state of Colorado and try to spend time up here whenever I can, I uh, sat down and, and retook the uh, ethics test. Uh, I can't even remember what it you know what it's called, yeah, Craig, because but, we have more ethics in Colorado than in Texas. <laughs> let's be honest. Well, you're, apparently your ethics test, test is only good for five years, and so twenty years, you know, twenty seventeen years into the law practice, I decided I want to get licensed in Colorado, and I had to take the the MPRE is what it's called, and I went and took it, and I passed it by three points, and so I was able to um, come in with uh, reciprocity in Colorado, and then I went and took the the basics of the practice of law thing. It was me and about 50 kids, no one over the age of 26. It was real enlightening, but I won the movie trivia contest. So we got to go first in line. Well, way to go. Just what we <laughs> needed more Colorado yeah. lawyers, but I didn't know you did that civil rights, voting rights stuff. And you went to school in Georgetown and here I've never been to Austin in my life, but as we record this midweek, I'm fixing to go because Beto O'Rourke told me on the Lincoln Project podcast that it's going to be like Selma, and I wish I would have gone to that too, although I don't know that I wanted to get cracked upside the head. I uh, I, I think that um, it's going to be quite a, quite a show out there. Um, Beto has a real ability to bring people out and um, I think that your time will not be wasted if you want to go do that, Craig. I think there will be a lot of people, and it will probably be a very meaningful experience. And it's not very hot in Austin, Texas in late July, is it? You're going to cook, Craig. Oh, you're going to cook. I, I've seen you, brother. I know I know what you look like. You're going to cook. Yes. That's okay. You can cook for an afternoon. All right. Tell me and tell everybody else, because I'm probably going to follow your game plan. I want to have the action unfold right beneath me. Where can I stay? What should I do in my two or three days in Austin? So you got three kind of draws um, downtown in Austin uh, for a guy that's going to be there two or three days. You've got kind of the Sixth Street draw, and Craig, you don't need to get off Sixth Street before it gets too late, but um, – you got kind of Sixth Street law where a uh, strict Sixth Street area where you've got a lot of good restaurants, a lot of good bars. There'll be music. There'll be a lot going on down there. It's just since we've opened back up, you know, everybody's kind of got that pin up feeling, and so uh, there's a lot. Can going I stop on you there. right there? 
because I keep reading the news and they say you got to wear a mask if you're going to a hot spot and because of your asshole governor and Texas way, I probably should not be going even though I'm all vaccinated. Tell me, is it still a good idea? I've, I've been living my life, Craig. I, I, you know, I wear a mask if they ask me to because I'm not going to make a deal out of it. Um, but I've been vaccinated a long time and I'm, I'm trusting the science on that. Um, you don't, I, if you go down these places early, uh, anywhere you go inside won't be too, too crowded. And most of them have outdoor places too, if you're more comfortable with that. The march in the capital area, they're not going to let sell into the capital. So um, the. Well, hell, we'll just knock be- down the barriers and we'll go where the <laughs> hell we want. That's the Man, American just, way, I just, right? <laughs> I just threw that one right down the middle yeah. to you, didn't I? <laughs> um, the, you were uh, playing around the Colorado Mountains. <laughs> We've been watching these hearings. My God. I heard there was something else today, and I'm going to catch up on them later. But the. Uh, and so, so you got the Sixth Street area, which is the the south part of, of the three areas I'm going to tell you about. Then the, the capital's kind of in the middle, um, and the University of Texas is on the north side, and that's where all the um, – that's where you're going to – you know, the, there's some museums up there. It's very pretty. You can go, I mean, historically, you know, Charles Whitman, the tower, all that stuff's there. Well, you that's morbid. Book, book, book. That's well, it's morbid. there. I mean, it's, it's – I know you'll go see it because you're into crime, right? I mean – I'm going to go and see uh, the tribute to Sammy Steinmark. Oh, yeah, that's good. And yeah, there's a um, Colorado kid, and I knew his yeah. family. So, And there's um, the Bob Bullock Texas History Museum is worth a swing by. You can do it in a couple hours. The Capitol Complex is um, very fun to walk around. It's my friend is Sammy Steinmark, and it was his brother, Freddie Joe Steinmark. Yeah. I wasn't going to correct you. Right. No, you should have corrected me because I'm getting old (laughs) and I need corrections, but I'm thinking out loud. But keep going with where I should stay. I'm loving this and I'm taking notes. Um, There's several good hotels down there. There's the the Omni Hotel is down there. I I believe there's a Marriott. If you want to get further down and really take a look at taking in some good music, see who's playing at the. at the ACL, the Austin City Limits um, venue, it's like on Second Street um, in Colorado. I think is what it is. It's hard, I have a hard time with the streets because I just know where everything is. But I believe that's on Second in Colorado. You can also uh, go down to the lake. Uh, it's we had sort of a lot of homeless camps down there for a while, and a lot of that's gotten cleaned up now. But again, be careful down there. But tell me um, how you did that. That's interesting. The Denverites that are battling the same thing. I mean, it, it's not done yet, but there was a law uh, in May. We passed a uh, resolution or ordinance. I don't actually live in the city of Austin. I live just outside the city right. of Austin in the county. So I didn't vote on this exact um, measure, but I read it about it. So I can't tell you exactly what it said, but it was essentially a camping ban. There had been a moratorium on um, citing people for camping in public places in Austin. So, you know, what happens there. I mean, people set up shop everywhere and you get these big um, homeless encampments throughout the city and all over the place. And that, all right, well, that, that's a good caveat. What about downtown Austin? 
where is there's still, it? There's still some down there, but it, it's near uh, the Capitol. Yeah, there'll be some down there. That would be, be interesting to compare and contrast to Denver. But where should I eat? Where can I have a good greasy breakfast? Because I like that sort of thing. Okay, so there your options are um, I would go to Cisco's. Um, I would jump in an Uber and take that. It's over on the east side of 35. Um, it's very, very good. Um, any of the Mexican food places down there, and you can throw a rock and hit one in any direction, um, will have a good breakfast as well. Um, but I would, uh, I would definitely um, try to make Cisco's if you can do it. And when out-of-town guests come, you're going to be in Colorado, so we're not going to get right. together probably this trip. But where do you take people to show it off? Is it the Colorado River? Another thing that you guys are kind of passive-aggressive toward our state, and like, yeah, the street <laughs> named Colorado. You notice we don't have a lot of Texas boulevards in Colorado. Yeah, you, and, I, and I can only wonder why you have such a lapse in judgment on that. But the... Where I take people to go, uh, the place I always take people when they're in town is I always take them out to the Salt Lake Barbecue out in um, Driftwood. Um, it's a very famous, lot of history and great, great barbecue. You'd have to probably have a car to go out there. I have a um, niece. I'll get her to drive me. There you go. Right. You got a niece. Yeah, tell her. She'll take you out there. Go early there. It's pretty hot. Bring your own beer, too. And I know you like to do that, so. Well, how do you know that? Did I smuggle some on the golf course when we played? Well, I don't just, think so. I know you. I, I'm not going to incriminate you on your own show. Yeah. But we've had conversations. And, and, I, know you, I, right. know, I know you like a cold beer. I was fake drinking to <laughs> suck you into more betting. That was good. It worked. <laughs> yeah, it's 730 in the morning. <laughs> All right. Tell everybody about Texas politics. Do you get involved? You're a trial attorney. Um, does it work down there? Do you have flaws in the system? And now that you're a Colorado lawyer, too, be candid. Tell us the truth. We're a lot better and more advanced than you guys who are stuck in the Old South in a lot of ways. From my standpoint, the tort law in Colorado, I'm certainly not an expert on it, but from talking to you and other people in Colorado, um, the tort law in Colorado is a lot better than the tort law in Texas. We we could devote an entire five-hour show. To we don't need to do that, but I can tell you the evolution is it was really good. And then Bill Owens, a guy who moved here from Texas, he got in for a while and there was some tort reform when he was a legislator, but not terrible tort reform. And we've kind of kept them at bay ever since. When, when I say we, I'm talking about the Colorado trial lawyers, people who represent injured people. And I'm sure you have similar dynamics in Texas, but best I can tell, you've got Republicans in charge, whereas we have Democrats, and it's starting to show in your law practice, right? Yeah, yeah it has been for 20 years. It's been a pretty concerted effort um, going back to the 97, 99 when I you know, didn't even know what was going on over there when I was a baby lawyer, um, I participated in politics through TTLA, the Texas Trial Lawyers Association. Um, I, you know, donate my money and spend my time on my calls and um, help where I can. Um, there's people that are far more connected um, than I am, and there's um, people that do a whole lot of great work over there. Great work in our state with our the makeup of our legislature. 
is keeping the hounds at bay, Craig. It's a fight every two years. Now, we have a strange legislative system um, where we only meet in session for five months every two years. And you never know what the agenda is going to be. But it seems like every other session, um, it's something tour reform is high on the list. Some, you know, sometimes we love to do cultural issues. And sometimes we love to do both. Um, Austin is unique in that it's a blue carve out uh, in a very red state. Although they tell me, and I've, they've been telling me for a long time, but they tell me that we're becoming more and more uh, purple all the time um, because of changing demographics. Now, I don't see that in the poll result, in the results of the elections and at the polls. But, you know, Beto was close on Ted Cruz, which gave us some hope. And um, and, they, and they have a contention that if more people voted in Texas, Beto would win. And 7 million people don't participate. And it's vestiges of the Old South. And right now the is. legislature is saying, we're going to put Texas judges in charge in case we think that the vote counters aren't doing a good job. Tell us how that would work in certain parts of Texas. Well, that bill, another thing about our long legislative history is the bills that are proffered uh, that are originally filed uh, tend to be as extreme and outrageous as possible. And they're jumping off points for negotiation. At least that's how I look at them because I try to put a decent, you know, decently optimistic spin on them. I don't know what the current bill says over there. I know it's been amended or there have been amendments offered. I know that they're not going to vote on it anytime soon because the House of Representatives is chilling in Washington, D.C., or the Democratic side of it is. And um, we'll play this game for a while. We'll do special session after special session probably until they finally um, get past what they want. My understanding is is that um, you know the bill has a lot of different ways to be read. Um, depending on what angle you're reading it from, if that makes sense. I know this. That bill is a solution looking for a problem. It is not needed. It is not necessary. There was virtually no instances of voter fraud in the presidential election. And when a bill is being passed, it makes it more difficult to vote by a particular group of people, in this case, the Republican Party in Texas. I am suspicious of the motives. Well, I'll call it out. That's why I'm going down to Texas, because it's born of the big lie. And I know that the rally has other components like raising the minimum wage and all that. But I'm going for that one reason, which is to tell Texas, while the legislators have had to leave the state, this out-of-stater is going to go down there and say, you know what? This my friend Chip Evans, who's smart and he sees things from both sides, he knows that there's a solution in search of a question, but the question is that Trump told a big lie and that he wants his people counting the votes and these people are willing to placate him. God knows why. Tell us about it. You live in a state that voted big time for Donald Trump. Why did they do that in Texas? I I think, I mean, I don't want to cast aspersions about inherent racism or any of that stuff. I don't want to even get into that. Cause Let's I, I don't, do it, because I just man, wrote I'm about not, the not, Alamo and yeah. all that, but you go you're, ahead. You're more you're more up on that than I no, am. No, but you're a you. Texan, I, and you, let's establish this. You root for your Cowboys, am I right? 
You got it. All right, and you, 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 you tell everybody how Texas through and through you are, because I, I don't want I'm, to say I'm, bad things about Texas. I have affection for Texans. I have relatives who are Texans, but it's an interesting history that I'm just starting to learn in my very advanced age. How about you? I'm. I mean, I'm. I consider myself very, very Texan. I am fifth or sixth generation at least, and um, the. Uh, and probably, probably not. And the, um, you know, my family has a, a ranching tradition uh, in Central Texas and, and cotton gins and all that kind of stuff. My father is a physician, but he grew up in a town of Lorena, High, of Lorena, Texas. High school graduating class was like twenty. I mean, it was it was my kids are like you had twenty people in your old class. We have you know thirty two in our kindergarten class. They can't even get over it so yes i am through and through texan i am um miffed um i don't know i'm i i'm incredulous how about that craig i'm incredulous at the love for donald trump and i don't know if you saw yesterday but i think it's a perfectly excellent example uh, of george p bush did you see that yes, yesterday and and i just yeah. read that book forget the alamo i'm sorry you told me not to do it but anyway so let me tell you let but, me tell but you george p george yeah. p bush let me, let me is about that. Uh, he's george p bush is a big part of that book because he not only got in bed with trump he's gotten in bed over the alamo I'll let you talk about it because you've seen it up close and personal yeah. let's remind everybody that george p bush Son of Neil Bush and his native Mexican American wife. I think it's Jeb Bush's son, isn't he? Yes. No, is that what I said, Jeb? I'm sorry. Jeb yeah, Bush. Yeah, you said Neil. Neil, right. Neil lived in Colorado. Neil Jeb and, Bush. And he's, and he's of Cuban, Cuban American descent because I believe his mother is of Cuban American descent. Is I thought she was Mexican American yeah. or maybe Colombian. Uh, uh, whatever she is, it's uh, partially Latino. He speaks Spanish and. He's yes. thought to have crossover appeal, which is uh, Uncle George did and proved that you can win the Hispanic vote as a Texan who uh, is compassionate. He sure seems like a nice guy now. Anyway, uh, go, so go George, back to talking about yeah. George P. Bush because that's fascinating so, what happened. And the guy that Trump chooses over him, my God, he's an so, embarrassment to the legal profession. Oh I, Talk about that. Yeah, we're going to have fun with him. Okay, so George P. Bush uh, is went to the University of Texas Law School and <clears throat> became the land commissioner in Texas. Excuse me. He, um, the land commissioner has, or the land office has um, authority over the Alamo, which you covered in your column and some other stuff. But um, so he's been messing around with that, right? That's He's been making an issue out of that. The uh, if y'all recall, it's worth it's worth reminding everyone. Trump was an absolute asshole to Jeb Bush, and, and there's no other word for it. He was a complete jerk to Jeb Bush the entire Republican primary uh, season and all the debates in 2016. He had little nicknames for him: Low Energy Jeb, and you know, highly, highly critical of the Bush family and and George W. Bush, and all that stuff. To me, if I'm George P. Bush, that's a deal breaker. You don't come back from that to me. You don't talk about my dad. You don't talk about my family like that. You're not my friend. But George P. Bush decided that he was going to be Trump's friend. So he started pandering to him and sucking up to him and meeting with him and taking every opportunity to get his photograph taken with him. 
And he even made koozies. Craig, you need to find these and put them on our website. He made koozies that had a silhouette of him and Trump shaking hands. And the other side, it said George P. Bush for attorney general, which brings me to what we're doing now. So he decided he was going to run against Ken Paxton for attorney general. Ken Paxton is um, currently under indictment for one set of securities crimes, being investigated for public corruption for another set of crimes, and being sued in whistleblower lawsuits by seven of his top, I think it's seven, it's several of his top assistants for crap he pulled while he's the attorney general. I also want to point out that Ken Paxton's filed a bunch of bogus lawsuits uh, supporting the big lie, which Craig, you and I, we've talked about the big lie before and, and it's unbelievable to both of us, but he, Paxton has filed all these lawsuits. He was the uh, leader of the pack. Yep, that was the was. one that was supposed to win it. And he got so many Republican AGs to go along with him. It's frightening, isn't it? And they got, and they got poured out as fast as you can, right? Another of Trump's 60 lost lawsuits, but this one brought by the mighty state of Texas and Ken Paxton um, and got poured out you know, fast as can be. I mean, he got nowhere with right, it. Right, but he and did now, the big boys bidding. Yeah, and there's two things going on on that front that you may not be aware of because they're kind of local in nature. The first thing is, is there's calls for, and I believe there is an audit going on of how much time uh, Ken Paxton's office, the attorney general of the state of Texas office, spent pursuing this clearly, clearly and patently frivolous lawsuits. Uh, people want some answers on that because they're not Ken Paxton's law firm and they're not Donald Trump's law firm. They're my law firm as a citizen of Texas. And the citizens of Texas want answers. The citizens of Texas want to know what their money's spent on because we're very fiscally conservative, right, Craig? Got, that's the over overriding thing and everything. The, I don't know. Um, I haven't been there. I need to figure it out. But this guy, Ken well, I mean, Paxton, I, right now, it's over, isn't it? Won't he slaughter George P. in the Republican well, primary? There's another, there's another person in there. I'll tell you about it in a second. But um, And then the 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 other thing that um, people are – well, I'll come back to that. The, so Paxton, everybody wants to know what he spent all the, you know, the, the resources of the attorney general's office. Rather than helping the people of the state of Texas, he's filing lawsuits for – Donald Trump, it's going to be real interesting to see how much time is really spent on that. It's going to be a staggering amount, Greg. And you I put know, a dollar value on that. I, I, I'll give him a defense right now, which is, hey, you know what? The people of Texas overwhelmingly voted for the dude. I'm just trying to support the will of the people of Texas. Yeah, but, you know, he, I think he, if I recall, he got bounced on that lawsuit for lack of standing. And that's, right. that's not the first day in law school, Craig. You're able to, you know, right after you learn where your class is, you learn that you have to have standing. Yeah, but you have to realize the Supreme Court is part of the deep state and all of that. So you're just <laughs> yeah, not exactly. looking at it the right way. I mean, exactly. wasn't Here's John Cornyn, I mean, will anybody yeah, else was, besides you in he, Texas stand up to Ken Paxton? Well, so let me tell you one of the things, and then I'm going to tell you who I think is going to stand up to him. Please. Um, the... The second thing is, is many high-profile bar leaders, uh, presidents of the Dallas Bar, former presidents of the State Bar, Houston Bar, San Antonio Bar, the biggest bar associations in Texas, current and former presidents, leaders, guys that have names, uh, are basically calling for Ken Paxson to get out, to be investigated by the bar, censured by the bar, quit, resign, whatever. 
they're after his ass, Craig. And they're, they're after him because now will they get anywhere? I don't know, but they're after him because they like you and I, and like your listeners believe in the rule of law and Ken Paxton doesn't. Now there's an interesting entrant into the uh, Republican attorney general primary. Uh, former Supreme Court Justice, just retired, named Ava Guzman, uh, a Hispanic woman that served with distinction, uh, was a good, um, fair, and well-thought-of justice on the Supreme Are Court. Are you sure she's a Republican? Uh, yeah, she, she is. She's, she's definitely a Republican. But we don't have any statewide officials that aren't, so um, I don't even need to say. Right. Every she probably hasn't sounded off about Trump. Um, I don't. I haven't followed her career closely enough yet. I don't think she has because I probably would have heard about mm-hmm. it. And I looked at her from the standpoint of being a judge. She's. Um, I have met her a couple of times at Aboda functions and stuff like that that she's attended. She seems to show up to a lot of functions like that. I like that. She's personable. Um, I think she'll do well on the the campaign trail, and I think that her. Um, place in the campaign as a Hispanic and a woman um, will give people an alternative maybe to Ken Paxton. At least I hope so, man. And then on the Democratic side, the only one I'm aware of, there's probably more, but the only candidate I'm aware of that um, has called me um, is Joe Jaworski, who I think is Leon Jaworski's grandson. Wow. And so he's got a name, you know, the old Fulbright Jaworski firm is very prominent in Texas. And um, He's got a name, and, and so we'll see. You know, I, I, I get my hopes up about they, Democrats every time. I mean, yeah. I'm going to be an expert when I get back, but right there, I, I would hope that Ken Paxton gets the nomination and then Jaworski can kick his ass. I don't know how Ken Paxton – I guess people don't pay attention, man, because I, I don't know how he can run for the top law enforcement officer in the state of Texas while – under indictment. I don't know how you pull that off, you know? Donald Trump I mean, set the bar, it. man. If you're not ex- ah, getting yeah. accused of stuff, then you're not trying, and it, it's all about the circus. But the bottom line is, hopefully, justice will prevail in the courts. Do you have good trust in the Texas courts? Do they work? I have had excellent experiences in almost every trial court I've ever been in, and I've tried it, as you know, a number of cases and been in a lot of courts all over the state. And I have had courts that I've been, you have gone to. We have an excellent federal judiciary. you put on that phony Texas accent of yours. Yeah, exactly. I, I lay it on thick. But I've been in court in El Paso and plenty of courts in Dallas, obviously tons in Austin, San Antonio. I've tried cases in um, you know, in, in Fort Bend County and, and in Harris County and Houston and I've, I've had judges that, you know, on paper may not have been something that I loved, but I've, I've have had excellent experiences. And man, one of my favorite judges that I've ever tried a case in front of, uh, in Fort Bend County, which is just Trump city, um, was probably one of the top two or three judges I've ever tried a case in front of. I mean, she just gave a great trial and didn't put up with any bullshit. And, you know, I'm pretty much like you, man. I just want a judge that'll let me try a case, and um, and I've had great experiences with all of them. I can't think of a judge that that is just politically, you know, backdoor. Well, that's nice. 
That's nice. Yeah. Uh, don't you guys elect judges, and don't they twist your arm to give a campaign contribution? If you like a judge, got a good result, do you have to give a tip on the back end? <laughs> I, I'm not going to characterize it as that, but there that we do elect them, and there is uh, a lot of fundraising that goes on. How much money um, can you give a judge? I don't know the amount. I know that I, I think it's maybe a couple grand. Um, per cycle, and there are like a lot of primary. judges. My God, there are, there are a lot of them, but you you don't have to give to all of them. Many of them run unopposed. I mean, functionally we elect them, but many times when they're elected for the first time or they're appointed to replace a judge that retires or, or quits or dies or something. Um, and now that you're a senior, what about you? Ah, man, I don't know. Judge Chip. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if I can work those hours, Craig. <laughs> I understand. You gotta go fishing in Colorado. But I knew you were a great trial lawyer down in Texas, but you mentioned at the start of this interview that you had a civil rights trial. I didn't know about that, and I'm thinking a lot about civil rights right now, and I'm wow. thinking what uh the late John Lewis said, the guy who survived Selma, that civil rights are voting rights. And when I was a little kid, too young to participate in stuff like that, it occurs to me that all they wanted was the right to vote or to go to school, stuff like that, stuff that we all agree they got a right to. And still we're kind of arguing about that in furtherance of Trump's big lie, no less. So respond to that. I mean, you're the civil rights guy. Let me tell the backstory on that. So the civil rights case I tried was a police shooting case. 1983, you know, section 1983 is the, the part of that, the statute that um, we try those under. And my partner, Jeff Edwards, is our partner at the time, is still very, very close friend, is one of the best, if not the best, civil rights lawyer in the state of Texas and maybe in the United States. He is a wizard at civil rights cases. He has handled all kinds of cases that are high profile that you'd know about he you know talks to ben crump he sued the entire state of texas because there wasn't uh, air conditioning in prisons and got that changed i mean he's just a phenomenal guy that will will go after stuff for the right reasons um he doesn't win them all and he'll freely admit that but he wins a hell of a lot more than he loses and he wins a lot of cases that when he first tells tells me about him over a couple of beers i'm like man i don't know about this one jeff and he figures out a way so i've tremendous amount of respect for what he does but this was back very early in our partnership and he had uh, partnered sort of gotten with the federal court uh to provide a um a way for pro se plaintiffs plaintiffs representing themselves to get representation in these uh civil rights cases because not many lawyers take them at this time not many lawyers were taken it's gotten more popular now but at this time nobody took them so because it was just pilot program, I never really got the true backstory on this. Because it was just pilot program, Judge Sam Sparks, um, who's an excellent, outstanding federal judge, um, I think he appointed us to do the very first case uh, under this program. And so we went over and tried a case. It was a very, very hard case where some sheriff's deputies had shot a guy who was over uh, at his uh, girlfriend's house with a gun um, distraught, falling apart, just a wreck. Uh, you know, he, he was in a real bad way. I'm obviously telling it from my client's perspective. Um, he was in a very, very bad way. 
um, was losing it, Craig. He was he was breaking down mentally, right. and the sheriff showed up, saw the guy with the gun, and shot him. We tried the case. We lost the case, but um, in the course of that case, we felt like we had to go up on appeal on some issue, and I don't remember exactly what it was at this point, but I know that when we, we won at the Fifth Circuit on – an appellate issue and you know that's some law that that has been used by our colleagues and by jeff uh to get some of these cases before a jury um because as you know there's a lot of ways the cops can avoid ever getting to a jury on those things and and i also want to say that like you craig i believe that most cops are good and do a good job and do things for the right reasons but i do believe they need to be held accountable when they don't right i i think your politics are pretty moderate uh you're even if Texas Democrats are probably a little more moderate than Vermont Democrats, I would just think so. My friends call me a communist, Craig, my friends that are more conservative than right. me. And if I lived in California, they'd call me a Republican. Um, so, well, you know, it's see. all a matter of part uh, of your environment. The, <laughs> what about the guns issue in Texas? Is that a big deal? Uh, I mean... I had that horse out of the barn. Um, did you follow the Sutherland Springs shooting case yes. recently? Um, I'm close to that one. Um, the the counsel that tried that case, uh, Jamal Osafar, is a very good friend of mine and a really, really good lawyer, and he did a great job. But that's the first step. I, I don't think we're going to be able to attack guns in Texas at the legislative level. I think we're going to have to attack it in the court system. Right. Maybe I- maybe an assault weapon ban. If I recall Sutherland Springs correctly, tell me if I've got this wrong, but one of those incidents was the only really beneficial use of an AR-15 because that guy who mowed down the congregation, there was a dude at his property Mm -hmm. across the street who took out his own AR-15 and winged the guy enough to get him captured. I think he even may have even had it in his pickup truck. Uh I mean, I think it was, you know, that that was the I don't know if you know the Charles Whitman story, but that was how they you know fired back at Charles Whitman until the cops got up on top of the tower. Was there was a sporting goods store and there was a bunch of people down there that had their deer rifles in the back of their cars and they fired back. I mean, guns are everywhere in Texas, mm-hmm. and um, you know it's part of our culture. And it's I own hunting weapons. I don't own any handguns, but I own. Uh, hunting weapons. I've been hunting a long time in my shotguns, you know, deer rifles, that kind of stuff. And um, it's just a part of our culture. Now, do we all need to be packing heat on our hip? Hell no. And I don't know why that is even an issue, to be honest with you. Well, uh, there's pl- maybe there's you never saw ways. a John Wayne movie. He made one called well, The Alamo, which twisted my little baby boomer head to the point where I was trying <laughs> to be Davy Crockett. I thought he was an American <laughs> hero fighting for freedom at The Alamo. And you probably thought that, too, because it's mandated to be taught that in seventh grade in Texas. And you went to law school in San Antonio. Oh, yeah. What happened at the Alamo? I mean, you're going to get my Texas history version of it here. I mean, the you know, the mean old Mexican army surrounded a brave group of people that laid down their lives for Texas independence. That's That's my take on it. I know, I but what, what were they fighting about? Yeah. Who owned San Antonio at that time? Well, the state of Texas, or the Texas, the territory was a Mexican territory. It was a Mexican, uh, you know, a 
Um, a northern possession. territory of Mexico, yeah, and it included big slides to Colorado. Uh-huh, and it had that strange kind of hook that went up, um, you know, that little piece of Oklahoma, then a larger piece of, of Colorado. And um, Texans wanted their independence from Mexico, and so they had colonists that were here. But why did they want their independence? Because don't we always want our independence, Craig? I think so, but I think they were getting along pretty good until Mexico said, you know what, we would prefer, even though Chip Evans' family is eventually going to be in the cotton gin business and you want to grow cotton and it's about the only crop that's great down here right now, but we ask you not to bring slaves because we don't like slavery. We had to get rid of Spain because they treated us bad because of skin color. We just don't go for that, so... You Southerners like Davy Crockett and you, Jim Bowie, you can come, but please don't bring slaves. And they said, well, how are we going to do cotton? And by the way, most of the cotton gins were up north, so they benefited from slavery too. But the bottom line is that was the dispute, and it was proved to me in that book, Forget the Alamo, and then Texas, the fight was on. Bunch of brave Texans said that was bullshit. In the middle of it all were Comanches who were trying to hold on to their land, too. But eventually, Texas merged with America. And you know, at the start of your statehood, you still owned part of Colorado for a while. Um, so I understand they had to draw some lines based on some rivers and stuff like that. And the, uh, um, and the, uh, it's been told to me, I have not brushed up on this fact in a long time but it has been told to me that at some point santa Ana, the general uh that was doing all the fighting um in texas for the for the mexican army um was in washington dc and lobbying for the admission of texas into the united states another fun um santa Ana fact that he introduced chewing gum to the united states i didn't know that <laughs> yep sam houston was the leader of the um texas army uh, the ragtag bunch of misfits that ended up beating the mighty Mexican army, which was a mighty Mexican army at that point. He ended up being the first president of Texas and a senator from Texas. So he had quite a career in you know, the city of Houston's named after him. Hell, half the state's named after him, seems like. Right, but he was a Tennessee slaveholder before he came to Texas. Am I right? I believe that's, I believe that's correct. Right. Um, and then Texas came in as a slave state, and there was a lot of politics involved, and— Colorado was denied at first because we wouldn't guarantee the right of blacks to vote. And then when we changed, Ulysses S. Grant let us in, but that was long after Texas. But I learned a lot about it right in my column and reading Forget the Alamo. And uh, it, it's just interesting. It comes down to this critical race theory. But my feeling is that Chip Evans and other native Texans, damn it, you're strong enough. You're, <laughs> you've got the self-confidence that you can handle the truth, good, bad, and ugly. It's not like Colorado was always white man land, right? Right. I mean, and, and we're, we're fiercely independent, which is good and bad. I mean, it, it uh, hurts us when we have things like our, our electrical grid and hooked up to everybody else's and it fails in a snowstorm. But that fierce independence also helps us. And hopefully if we can get a little bit of a uh, change in maybe the, the governance, we can um, enact some new ideas. So I'm well, glad you're coming down, Craig, and I appreciate it. Well, well I appreciate your time. I mean, we, we 
talk about the world, and I uh, always appreciate your wisdom and perspective. And I, I kid around about Texas because I really don't know that much. I like you, and you're from Texas. Is Texas a likable state? And a lot of people say, hey, you're just behind Colorado. Colorado was Republican for a long time, and then it changed over. Do you see that tipping point coming in your great state of Texas? Give us reason for optimism. I can tell you this. I honestly believe that the people of Texas and my fellow Texans and Texas citizens. Now, these are the ones I'm talking true Texans, ones who've been here for a while and, and that, you know, not somebody who moved here last week. True, true Texans are truly the nicest people in the world. If you go to places like Lubbock and Amarillo and these salt of the earth places where um, where people have, you know generationally live there. It is truly, truly some of the nicest people in the world. San Antonio is like that, man. Um, it, it's but isn't that the road to people. Colorado? You go through Lubbock and then Amarillo, and yes, then you're exactly. back in Colorado. So yeah. maybe it's that Colorado influence there. And and I I go to Lubbock and I go to Amarillo for business and and you know it's those places are far far from me politically, but I'm never mad at anybody. They're always really 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 nice to me. Um, and I appreciate that. And I, and I think that that's one thing that, um, I would like to see more of is I would like to see people remember, um, you know, that it, we are nice to each other and that we need to right. try and to they, listen, they, listen to the other side, but you can't with the Trump people. Right. I mean, you can't, I so. know. And that's where, you know, a guy like John Cornyn, okay. He's a Republican, but now Ted Cruz, Donald Trump. You know, I, I would just think that divide. Donald Trump's yeah. the kind of New Yorker that a lot of Texans would say, man, this guy ain't right in the head. I don't know the appeal of Trump because he didn't appeal to me. But what I can tell you is his brash style plays with some in Texas because he comes across as fiercely independent. And, you know, there's other things people like about him, too. But the I don't get it. I don't understand it. I mean, I value the rule of law and I value truth and that. That's a problem. All right. So Tell I don't want to waste any more time on Trump or on. Cruz, no, let's so. not. Let, let's <laughs> end it by talking about Colorado. You've been coming here okay, for a long it. time. Garden of the Gods is where we played golf. If you recall, I don't know if you still play there, but I, I haven't in a while. My son did not too long ago. I so noticed good, that good you go to mountain towns in Colorado. What's the best? What, what appeals to the Texas in you and rank your top? Colorado destinations? So we started growing up, my family would go to Aspen or to um, Vail. Um, it was like a Dallas thing, right? The Dallas people go to Aspen and Vail. Um, you know, my wife's family has that place down there near Colorado Springs and, and the Garden of the Gods. And then um, my recently, my family has started coming, or not recently, probably 10 years, 10, 12 years now. We come to the Breckenridge area. I like it because it's close to Denver. I love the weather. I have a great fishing guide here. That's that's Troy Booker at Mountain Angler is a great, great fishing guide. Give him a shout out. And uh, I like the I just like the setup of this town. You can walk everywhere. There's good restaurants. It's low key. It's laid back. Um, it just it's real nice to come up here um, in the middle of 105 degrees in texas and chill out and if you'll recall last year craig when we were all in the middle of the pandemic i called you like on a monday and said where can i go craig and you said 
I don't know. I think my son was just over at Vail and Beaver Creek. Things are looking pretty good over there. And I was there on Wednesday. You remember that? I, I know that it doesn't take much to get you to head to the Colorado mountains. <laughs> That's right. So, and my son and I are up here. We're having one of those really busy summers, and, but my son and I always like to have a, we like to fish. So we're up here having a, a guy's four or five days. so fishing. cool. Yeah. Fishing trip. We're going to go fly fishing tomorrow on the Colorado. We're going to float it. And then on Friday, we're going to wade uh, fish over by Fairplay on the South Platte. So we're super excited about it and we're, Happy to be here, and thank y'all for welcoming us. And everybody's real nice to me today, so I'm well, having a great time. Well, even so a, this visit to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, long overdue. It corresponds with my Texas trip, so yeehaw, Chip Evans. <laughs> Thanks for being my buddy. Thank you, Craig. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we got to do it. Thank you. Have a great one. Bye. You too. Bye. Let me tell you what we do and we don't do at Springer and Steinberg. We do almost everything. We do not do end-of-life planning. That's Michael Bailey. But for all your other legal needs, give me a call. 303-861-2800. 303-861-2800. I look forward to speaking with you. Michael Bailey, you've been a lawyer for a decade and a half. I have that beat because I'm a lot older, but you and I have something in common. Uh, We both pride ourselves on being good attorneys, and I've shared with you a little list I have, 20 ways to be a good lawyer. Do you want to go through a few of these right now, and we'll keep going on future talks? What about number one, behave yourself? What does that mean to you? I mean, there's a whole slew of things that you can do as an attorney that are unbecoming or unseemly. You know, whether you break the ethical rules or if you just do things that are a little bit sneaky and underhanded, there's no need to do that. You do it the right way. You do it above board. They need a steady, reliable person like you. Give out your contact information. Sure. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. That's how you get a hold of me. I mean, my my website is michaelbaileylawllc.com. And again, that's michaelbaileylawllc.com. You can get a hold of me that way, too. If you want to keep following this story, then please subscribe on whatever podcast medium by which you acquire this sound and then leave a positive review. More than anything, push the podcast to your friends. Let them listen. Thank you. Some days are diamonds, some days are stones. This is Friday morning, and I just found out that Governor Dick Lamb died. I had the pleasure of knowing the man. He was a gentleman to me. Many times, many times, he gave me respect. I give it back to him now. And I'm going to see the state capital of Texas. I know Bill Owens. I've known a lot of governors during my lifetime. I didn't know John Lubb, but I remember when he was governor. I'm here in Austin. You can see 
Memorial Stadium, Daryl Royal Stadium down the road, down San Jacinto. And now we have the bad news on COVID with the Delta variant. And I traveled on an airplane for the first time. I'm at a hotel, the Omni. And I will keep you up to date on these momentous times live from the capital of Texas, Austin. So here we are at the Ritz Theater. This guy laid out. Can't help but think about the Alamo. The Ritz Theater, 320 East 6th Street. In 1927, the historic Ritz Theater was built and opened by J.J. Hegman and is still owned by his grandson, Austin Larry Craddock. Talkies made the Ritz a destination early on. Ten cents would get you a ticket and a comfortable seat. The Ritz has enjoyed many incarnations as a live music venue and event space. In the mid-70s, Jim Franklin of Armadillo World Headquarters fame revived it as a rock and roll hall. In the early 80s, the Ritz was the home to countless national and local punk bands such as Black Flag, The Misfits, The Big Boys, and Minor Threat. Later in the 80s, the Ritz was home to Esther's Follies as well as heavy metal bands such as Testament and Slayer. In 2007, Alamo Draft House founder Tim Lee restored the facade and converted the Ritz back to a movie theater, which continues to operate today. Brought to you by Pecan Street Association. Now, here is something you don't see every day. Not just a Colorado guy in the middle of Austin, Texas, on a speed cycle that's supposed to be electric but isn't. But a statue monument like this, God in Texas, victory or death? What is this going to be about? Could it be the Alamo? W.B. Travis. There's his name. James Bowie. There's his name at the top. Jazz Beeb Bonand? I'm not sure, but here's going to be Davy Crockett, and sure enough, David Crockett with the two T's at the end. This has to do with the Alamo. I wrote a column for the Colorado Sun about Forget the Alamo by three great Texas historians. I look around at the families here, and I wonder what they think when they see the people with long guns guarding monuments to the heroes of the Alamo. They're at top. AD 1891, that's when they put up this monument to the heroes of the Alamo. I can't read that. Had men, messenger of death, the Alamo had not. Or Thermopylae, back in Greek times. Well, they're comparing it to some Greek tragedy instead of talking about slavery. 
which was really that fight for state rights right over there, down the road. So you got the Confederate War Monument, then beautiful flowers, and then this tribute to the Alamo. I shall never surrender or retreat. Well, you do need to retreat from slavery. Look at more guards guarding the Capitol. Interesting, at least we can walk around and bike around, but not with electricity. Oh geez, are you kidding me? More Confederate monuments? General Albert Sidney Johnston with a little more drill. You are the equals of the old guard of Napoleon. General William J. Hardy, I always feel safe when the Rangers are in front. Yes, Texas Rangers. History being taught to children. In commemoration of the valor of the 8th Texas Cavalry, better known as Terry's Texas Rangers, Provisional Army of the Confederate States, 1861 to 1865. Erected in 1907 by surviving comrades. What a word, comrades. General Braxton Bragg, there is no danger of a surprise when the Rangers are between us and the enemy. That's bragging. Jefferson Davis, remember him? The Terry Rangers have done all that could be expected or required of soldiers. Way to go, fighting for slavery. Come on, Texas, get with it. Okay, nice tribute to Spanish Tejanos. We'd forget the Alamo and learn about the Texians and the Tejanos and all the people who make up this crazy Republic of Texas. Here's the pride they have now on this Tejano Monument Committee tribute placed in 2012 world war ii ushered in a new era for tejanos and mexican americans of other states tejanos were among the first american soldiers to volunteer and to be recruited to serve in combat they fought bravely earning a disproportionately high number of combat decorations including the medal of honor tejanos served in an integrated army with mexican americans from other states and returned to texas after the war to press for economic political and social equality struggles in various civil rights organizations produced new opportunities that resulted in the rise of a new professional class and greater political participation for tejanos immigration from mexico in the late 20th century resulted in larger mexican-american populations in the western and midwestern states while it also augmented the Tejano community in Texas. By the end of the 20th century, Tejanos had served in the cabinets of presidents of both political parties, held elective public office at the statewide level, and led public colleges and universities. Tejanos also made significant contributions in the worlds of business and sports. Traditional Mexican cultural identity remained strong in Tejano families and achieved public expression in music, literature, and the arts. Hmm. This is the interesting part that involves Colorado. In 1845, the United States annexed Texas as its 28th state and reasserted the claim to the Rio Grande as its border. This led to the United States-Mexican 
War of 1846 to 1848 and the United States victory over Mexico, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo incorporated all of Mexico north of the Rio Grande into the United States, including Texas. The treaty made Tejanos and other Mexican settlers into United States citizens. Ain't that something? I should think so. Thank you, Tejanos from Austin, Texas. Person in Austin, Texas is Stephen F. Austin and his hotel right here to meet the needs of the growing Austin community. T.B. Baker, president of Baker Hotels, opened a hotel in 1924 at this site, previously occupied by the Keystone Hotel. Baker's new facility, initially to be called the Texas, was named for Stephen F. Austin in response to local interest. Claimed Fort Worth firms Sanguinette, Stats, and Hedrick designed the Beaux-Arts Hotel. Local architect Roy L. Thomas represented them in its construction in 1938. Five stories were added. After a restoration in 2000, the hotel retains much of its original classically and plus detailing on the interior and exterior. Let's have a look. Across the left, there's my view side. Do you say it? Big B. There's the Driscoll, that's famous over there. And here's the Stephen of Boston, and it is cool in here. I love it. Roaring Fork, we know about that in Colorado. But we're in Austin, Texas, in the Stephen of Boston, where there are very few people, even though I thought there was gonna be a big rally tomorrow. They watched the Olympics, Krista Palmer. How about the Olympics? Simone Biles going through problems. There's a girl with good toes. Stick it, lady. Yes. Nice, good bouncing, and I thought that was a great dive. Let's see how she did. She seems happy. I hope she should be. There it is in slow-mo. Can America come back in basketball? That'll be interesting. The Olympics goes on, life goes on, despite breakthrough infections. That's perfect form. That's humans at their best. Wonderful job, young lady. I don't think that was as good a score as she deserved. How do we score Stephen F. Austin? He did good, he did bad, but he fought for slavery, and that ain't too good. Nice hotel, though. Okay, I'm sweating pretty good. Austin sun getting to me, but I found the shade of a nice tree here in Colorado in eight. And look at what we have here. Another historic site. The first Austin capital of the Republic of Texas. On this site in 1839, shortly after Austin was selected as the seat of government of the Republic of Texas, was built the first Austin capital of the Republic. The one story built a fronted east and had a broad hall extending from east to west, at the back of which were the committee rooms. The Senate chamber was in the north front area and the hall of the House of Representatives in the south. After annexation to the United States, the building served as the capital of the state of Texas until 1853, when a more substantial building was erected. 
on the present Capitol grounds. But here's where it was, and I wonder if this tree was here. And I doubt very much this cowboy was, because he seems like a modern fella, a little like my B-cycle at the municipal building at 124 West 8th Street at Austin, Texas. at the end of July, 2021. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bacon. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings, 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, thanks a lot for listening to the show. I'm in a city of Austin dog park with my wonderful niece, Susanna, and her puppies in the water of Onion Creek. I've learned a lot about Texas, the good, the bad, the ugly. I will keep learning and educating myself and others. Seems to me we've got to stop venerating people who fought to preserve slavery. That's a good start, huh? Thanks for listening to the show, and thanks for my great guests. My guests have included my earbuds, unnecessary, my niece, Susanna, and her puppies, and my troubadour, our troubadour, Dave Kenders. Then beyond that, there was my buddy, Chip Evans, Austin attorney, fifth generation Texan. Austin's a cool spot. It's got problems, don't we all? Thanks for listening. See you next Saturday. Bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.